Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Mind Your Banners for Wednesday, December 6th. 2023, as always, is Mike Nislick, uh, which I was always with me, I should say, is Mike Nislick, Bloomington Herald Times. Mike, uh, how was how was Ann Arbor? Was it as as sunny and cheerful as always? Uh, no, it was very. It was it was it was wet, um, and the crowd was sparse, um, as it should be for a nine o'clock game um, on a on a random uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say. Obviously, I I covered it from home. I think it's fair to say the uh, the buzz was palpable at the Chrysler Center, and not necessarily in the best way possible. Um, we're going to talk basketball tonight, primarily, if not exclusively. I think obviously there's a lot going on with football. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of who who rolls through town in the next couple of weeks. Um, kind of a couple of big visit weekends coming up for. Um, portal targets, you know, maybe some 2024 guys, maybe some some players that want to re- reaffirm their commitments. Um, after Tom Allen was was fired, but we have not talked really about basketball in quite a while because everything, you know, the, the, the coaching search kind of took up a lot of oxygen. Um, and because uh, it's at least kind of been interesting to, to sort of see how this this season has evolved through the first basically quarter of it that the, the the Hoosiers passed the quarter pole of the regular season Tuesday night with a 78-75 win against Michigan. That moved them to 7-1, and 2-0 and in the Big Ten. Um, I don't think it is unfair to say that um, it has not always been inspiring basketball from Indiana. I also don't think it's necessarily unfair to say that the last four wins have been progressively more impressive than the first three wins. And if nothing else... I I suspect there is a a ceiling on the way Indiana's playing basketball, but you know you can't argue too much with results, um, especially as kind of they've improved down the stretch here, maybe the last five halves of basketball. Yes, but do you think? I mean, you'll <laughs> they're in in for some pain maybe in the, over the next two games. I think the next few games will be really interesting because, you know, and and listen, any season is just kind of this progression of of finding out moments. You know, you can, um, you know, it, it if you, you know, you come out of Connecticut and we say, well, we need to see how Indiana picks itself up after Louisville. And then we say, well, you know, Harvard's going to tell us something about this team because, that you know they're they'll just gone through New York and it's in Indianapolis and Harvard's not that bad and then they beat them and then we say well these first two Big Ten games will be a real litmus test for you know where this this team is if I'm putting this on TV I should probably look into the camera I was gonna say I I hope this isn't being broadcast because your head has been off at the entire time um but you know we we looked at Maryland and Michigan and we said you know yeah these are games Indiana can win but they're gonna kind of have to prove some things 
it's a it's maybe a consistent step up in competition. Well, now they did win those games, and they weren't always perfect in them, but they did they did win them. Particularly, I think the Michigan win on Tuesday night was was meaningful. And so now you prepare for this, you know, uh, another step up in competition again, maybe getting closer to what you faced in Connecticut on Sunday, November 19th. I don't know why I read that as Sunday. I just saw, I saw the Sunday before the date on the Ken Palm schedule. And you sort of say, well, you know, suddenly if Indiana can win either of these games and then close out the last three around Christmas without any real fuss, then actually they'll have kind of done everything they need to do in this, this November, December stretch. But as you get closer to, you know, teams that have some of the maybe the talent level closer to a UConn, um, you wonder, you know, has Indiana been feasting on empty calories or or maybe has this team gotten better? And will they be a little bit closer to some, you know, potential NCAA tournament teams? I think it could be both. Like, I think that Maryland might be one of the worst teams in the Big Ten this year. I was and, alarmed at how bad they looked. And Michigan's by concerning. Michigan's slightly better, but I mean that's a team now that has lost four in a row that doesn't have its coach still. I mean, sort of a team effort coaching the team. <laughs> Very strange, strange setup that's got going on there. Um, that was a road game though, so I don't think you could take away anything from that. Um, but uh Indiana's a team now that has not had more than four three-pointers in a game, is now just not even attempting them, um, has less than 10 attempts in each of the last two games. That's going to be hard when they go down against teams that, um, you know, basically if they don't take a lead or if they're not playing from out front for much of the game, this team's going to be in trouble just because of their lack of shooting. Um, and they've shown no sort that you know, it's funny, they've shown no real growth in that area. They've shown just that, like, look, we're just going to abandon it to not take those bad shots because we know we can't make them. You I think you tweeted out that chart um, about team, you know, whether we're four, the, what, four teams that at the bottom four of attempts and uh, percentage. Yeah, I think it, 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 Ryan Hammer had done it and he circled it and he said basically he classified them as like bad at three point shooting, but they know it. No, because they're attempting so few, which is which is really what they've adopted. Instead of saying, like, look, we need to make threes, it says, like, look, we're just not going to shoot them. Um, but I, I think that means, like you've talked about ceiling, I think that limits this team because, like, look, not all your opponents are going to have, you know, bad days shooting three-pointers. I mean, the last five teams, <laughs> I look, uh, UConn shot 31% from three, Louisville 26, Harvard 34, Maryland 12%. And Michigan 23, eventually you're going to hit a team that makes some shots and you're just, you're going to be in trouble. I do think it's interesting. I think it was Indiana HQ tweeted this out today. Indiana has, um, in Mike Woodson's tenure, taken, had five games. I think it was five games that took fewer than 10 threes and they've won all five. Um, And they've all been since the, I know you, you weren't around for this, but Indiana had a pretty ugly three-game losing streak uh, at the beginning of January, and and obviously, as you can imagine, social media didn't handle it very well. And then they kind of pulled out of that tailspin and won nine of their next ten. Um, and so all five of these these games where Indiana's taken single-digit threes uh, have, and won every one of them has happened since then. I think, you know, when listen, when you say there's a, a ceiling on the way Indiana plays. I think you have to give them credit 
or how much better they've gotten defending the three. Um, uh, you know, it, it's not by accident that only one of your last five opponents shot better than 32% from, from behind the three-point line. And, of course, there's always mitigation there, you know, in terms of, you know, UConn and Louisville were in a neutral site, an, an NBA arena. Sometimes the owners don't shoot very well there. Um, you know, I would argue Harvard probably. They, Harvard was 9-26 and probably missed some some clean looks, but, you you know, it's college. And they had a really that was a, that was the game. They had that awesome first half, and then shot like one of yeah. The and you, and it's college basketball. You have to account for the fact that like, guess what? Teams, you know, th- these are college players, not NBA players. Sometimes they're going to miss. I mean, Indiana's. <laughs> I've watched seven years of IU basketball miss clean looks, so um, it's it's not it's not unheard of. But the ceiling on this this way of of playing, unless you can get better you know, even just like nominally better shooting the three is that anytime you either run into a team that is really good shooting the basketball or just has a night where they torch the nets, as you said, you know, the, the, the hill to climb is much steeper if you're trying to hit back with twos and free throws and they're hitting threes. So, you know, I I would give Indiana some credit. Almost like it's almost like three point shots are worth more. Yeah. I would give Indiana some credit insofar as they looked really bad defending the three over the first three games. That you know, I mean, thirty-eight point two percent, thirty-four point two percent, forty-two point three percent. Every one of their first three opponents hit double-digit threes. Army and Florida Gulf Coast both hit thirteen. Um, nobody's hit more than nine in a game against them. Then, so I give them credit. I think they've gotten better defensively overall, and certainly defending the three. But you know, again, that there is a pretty obvious ceiling to this unless they can find a way to just kind of goose the numbers up even a little bit, because right now um, I had a look at this today. It's actually changed. Indiana is Indiana was last in all of division one in uh, no, they still are. Sorry. I was looking at the wrong stat. They are last in all of division one in percentage of points scored off threes. They are second to last, if I'm not mistaken in attempts per game. And they're third to last in three point attempts as a, percentage of overall field goal attempts so like, what are the what's the record i mean you should look, go back and look at what what the record of teams are that finished last and that's that and uh, it seems like a lot of work but i'll probably do it but i mean it'd be interesting right like i mean because yeah. like they're all i mean are they defying a trend or can teams win that way like you know it because it seems like they would be sort of the odd man out in that case you know at seven and one or if they continue to have success and are at the at the cellar of the, those statistics uh, just seem like it would be very hard to sort of overcome. I think that the one thing that you, or the other thing you do have to give credit to why this is working is Indiana is getting some outstanding post play. Um, I mean, like just really, really good, consistent every night. Malik Renew is shooting uh, 64.3% on twos. Kalel Ware is shooting 65.8%. McKenzie and Baco has fewer attempts, only 31, um, but he's shooting 61.3%. You've got guys off the bench like Peyton Sparks and Anthony Walker who are shooting respectively 50 and 63%. You know, even Trey Galloway, who's struggling with a lot else in his offensive game right now, is shooting over 50, 58% on twos alone. Um, Indiana is really – they're really good at the rim, I would argue, defensively. I think they've gotten better rebounding the ball and those sorts of things. But they are outstanding at the rim right now offensively. And that is that is kind of what is making this work is – 
you've got a lottery pick or a potential first round pick lottery pick. We'll see where he winds up in Kalel where you've got a guy who I think has in, in less than two years sort of polished himself into a really, really good sort of college post player whose offensive game is still continuing to open up in Malik Renew. And then you got a player who I think is starting to figure out where his offense is, where his individual offense is in this wider team in McKenzie and Baco, obviously we talked about how he struggled, but each you know the last three games, eighteen points, thirteen points, eleven points. It seems. Well, like- I think I, and to that point, I think you see how much better Indiana is when he's just even giving them a little bit. Like he's that third option. You know, we thought maybe he could lead this team in scoring, and it seems like that's probably not going to happen. But when he just even gets ten points a game right now, or when he gets a basket or two early and gets in the flow and a little more. Uh, involved, this team is better for it. Uh, I mean, maybe that's sort of like, uh, like duh, but I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off uh, wear and renew, um, you know, makes defenses focus a little elsewhere because, I mean, you know, they're still doing it. I mean, they're still really quick teams are to bring the double teams on Malik um, and try to with uh, Khalil, especially when one of them's off the court. And if McKenzie can be on the court and give them some sort of presence, because otherwise, you know, teams are leaving him um, just because he was so discombobulated in those early games. Um, but, you know, they're better for this last couple of games where he's been, um, you know, a, a, a part of it. <laughs> it just, they've been, you know, I think been, he's, it just he's, feels, he's felt a lot more active and comfortable. I mean, it's, it's worth saying he had eight yeah. rebounds against Harvard. He had seven rebounds against Maryland. He had four at Michigan. So it feels like he's just, just generally, playing a little bit more on instinct and a little bit more comfortable. Like he's finally settling into this a little bit more. Um, I mean, he only had one game of at least four rebounds in Indiana's first five. He's had four more in the last three, but anyway, but you know, and kind of whoever's doing it, the point is, I mean, again, like I, I was, I don't know what surprised me more looking up these numbers last night that McKenzie and Baco hasn't made all 17 free throws he's attempted so far this season. Or that Anthony Walker is 17 of 27 on twos and, and and has really just kind of turned himself a player who, you know, was kind of a glue guy, bench guy at Miami, maybe not expected after the transfer to do a ton offensively, has become like arguably Indiana's most consistent offensive bench player. Maybe not their most impactful at times. Caleb Banks, CJ Gunn have been, been better on defense, but Walker's been the one that has brought just kind of the consistent like, hey, I'm going to give you a six eight points off the bench every single night. That, that's kind of just a starting point that I'm going to give you. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think this is a – when I say I don't think this is a long-term thing, I guess what I mean more is at some point, not unlike last season, and I don't know that Indiana is going to wind up as good as it was last season, but not unlike last season, you know, Indiana was always going to be vulnerable when it ran into a team like Miami that – could go smaller, could spread it out, was really fast offensively, and could make some shots, make some threes. Um, I think this team is probably even more vulnerable to that, frankly, than last year's team was. But the flip side is this year's team has multiple guys that are attacking and succeeding at a really high level in the post. That's almost kind of like, you know, it's, it's like Indiana's kind of become a more extreme version of what it was last season but that's in part because instead of having one just sort of ball dominant post player who's going to take a ton of shots and get a ton of points it's got at any given time you know two or three on the floor that can all score really efficiently around the rim and hold their own athletically against you know against 
at very least kind of Big Ten level competition. And that's kind of why it's working, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it's <laughs> it, it hasn't been pretty, obviously. I mean, you've, you've kind of pointed that out a couple of times. I mean, it's just that's been ugly. And um, that's just kind of, I think, where they're going to live this season. Um, I mean, both teams had, you know, so, like I think at least like three stretches where they didn't score a field goal for four minutes. Um, and they kind of kind of going back and forth. And that's kind of the game ended up tied at the end, you know, going in the last minute or so. Um, but, um, you know, like you said, some points that they're going to face teams that can shoot, uh, some teams that are going to be able to run because they really haven't faced anybody that's run very well or run very consistently. When Michigan did yesterday, um, they actually had some success. That's when they kind of picked up the pace there at the end of the first half and, and kind of took a lead. Um, and just weren't able to do that consistently uh, throughout the game. The other thing that has worked for Indiana pretty clearly is, and it's, again, I mean, it's I think it's a factor of them playing this bully ball style. Um, they're getting to the free throw line quite a bit. They they have the 11th best free throw rate in the country. Um, if you narrow it down just to the two Big Ten games, they're kind of middle of the pack, but they're also um, – first in the conference and points off two pointers. And then if you, if you zoom out to the season overall, they are 39th in the country and in, in basically percentage of points scored on free throws. You've got what I'm just counting while we talk here, one, two, three, four, five, five different players in what Ken Palm considers their top six, drawing at least five fouls per 40 minutes. The only one who's not is McKenzie and Baco, and he still managed to shoot 17 free throws. So it's not like he's not getting the line. And again, I had no idea until last night. It, it had not occurred to me that he had not missed a free throw yet um, this season. That that when they when he stepped up for those two late, they said he's uh, he's 15 of 15. I was like, I you know I knew he'd had some good free throw shooting nights, but I had no idea he'd done that well. Um, I think it's spread out, so it's not. He's not had a game where um... he had the one game where he was six of six. I think it was. Right state. But again, I mean, you talk again about his, his activity level, you know, nine of those, we're talking in small sample sizes, obviously, with all of this, nine of those 17 free throws have been the last three games. So yeah. he, again, kind of another signal of like, it just seems like it's kind of turning on for him at a level that, and I think that that is kind of the one area where Indiana is able to mitigate, you know, some of these concerns and, and, you know, you look back, I mean, it's it's a little bit different when we're talking about like a, a Florida Gulf Coast, for example. Indiana shot 30 free throws to the Eagles six. You would expect, you know, that they shot 22 free throws to Army's nine. You would expect some of those disparities in a game like that. But then you look at like a Maryland. Um, they played them. They played Maryland pretty even in free throws. And they were just able to just essentially bully their way past, a, again, a pretty bad Maryland team overall. And then they were able to kind of hold their own against Michigan in points off free throws. And that allowed them again to kind of, you know, narrow the the gap a little bit, if you want to say of, you know, points they don't have to make up elsewhere. It's not, it's not always just that they're winning because of free throws. Sometimes it's also just, you know, that they've already got this one glaring point disparity, which is other teams hitting more threes than them. The free throws are kind of picking up, enough of the slack to at least give them the opportunity to just lean on the post stuff and, and let that kind of be what brings them home. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I think that, you know, they've found, 
you know, I think like you said, an identity with that bully ball. I mean, you know, it's funny that Woodson says we're not going to be that team anymore. That's that's those days are gone. And now they're a more extreme version of the team. And that's really the only reliable option that they have. Um, you know, <laughs> whoops. Uh, but he said he qualified it by saying he was still learning his team. So I guess he gets a he gets. A yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's funny to me that he just said, like, I, you know, I'd never played this way without Trace. And, and it turns out that he's outstanding at. Now he's to has to double down on it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's like a two-man game between Ware and, and Renew. Uh, who's going to post up? Um, and, you know, Ware, I mean, you wouldn't – I mean, I think you tweeted out yesterday about his sort of turnaround. I mean, could you I – mean, I, I didn't watch him last year, obviously, but, like, <laughs> he's sort of fully formed. And, you know, I know what the, he was here for a while and Indiana got some work in with him, but um, – Man, it's hard to imagine how bad. Like, I mean, what what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a little bit about where for my talking points column, um, which is going to come out tomorrow. We're talking on Wednesday night; it'll be out Thursday morning. Listen, you know, I think Mike Woodson has tried really hard to be diplomatic about the whole. I mean, because you know, he was he referenced it as much as anyone in the preseason that yeah. Ware had something to prove and. You know, he was kind of coming from a place where there were all these there were these accusations, essentially, that he didn't want to work hard. He didn't want to consistently, like, sort of show the work ethic that that he needed to and yada, yada, yada. Um, having said that, like it is, I mean, he's he's doubled his rebounding numbers, more than doubled his rebounding average. He's nearly tripled his scoring average. He has more than tripled <laughs> his average number of assists. He's finishing like crazy. And I mean. All that's like, all that's stuff gonna come. I, I would argue that, like, I would actually argue that the area where it's almost most surprising is how good and effective he's been defensively. And that sounds a little bit antithetical when you talk about a guy that's got the height and the length and the athleticism he does. But when you hear somebody talking about work ethic and you hear somebody talking about just like maybe not working hard enough. Usually coaches are talking about that stuff manifesting itself defensively. And he has become far and away Indiana's most important defensive player, which he's, you know, he's leading them in points and rebounds per game. And yet I would argue his defense is just as important as anything he's done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I wrote yesterday in in my recap for the game story, just that when he went out for that five minutes, he went out for his last 653 of the first uh, half because of foul trouble. And they missed him just as much defensively. Michigan, you know, everything just opens up inside. Um, and, and you know, without his length. And, you know, I thought – I actually kind of thought the opposite because I thought, you know, at a minimum, even if you don't try and you're that big and you have that wingspan, like defensively you could still muck things up just by standing in the lane because you're such a gigantic human being. But, like, I didn't think that his offensive game would be such a fully formed thing. Like, that skyhook is, is a pretty, pretty move. And it's like it would be hard to imagine he just picked that up in September. You know, it's like I, it, I thought he'd be just more rougher on the edges. Um, and he's got, I mean, you know, uh, Woodson called it a hell of a move on that. Uh, you know, to even set up the skyhook, the kind of the shake and bake, or you know, backing the guys down. He's done that a lot this year. Uh, in the first half, he did it as well. Um, just I, you know, the, the post moves are a little more advanced than just like look. I'm going to stand here and tip in some shots, you know, because like I thought that's what, you know, when you get a player that's kind of maybe not as advanced or something, you know, they just get, you know, a couple of baskets at the rim just because they're so tall because they're living above the rim because it's just, you know, you're seven feet. That's not been the case at all with him. He's had some really nice 
uh, his game is it looks really nice, well put together, and I, yeah, I mean I think he, he finishes in a lot of he finishes in a lot of different ways, and he's I mean you know the, the obvious comparison I guess is Trace Jackson Davis, you know Trace Jackson Davis kind of got to a place where he was he could just bowl his way to the rim, and he was really good at you know kind of the technical aspects of finishing around the rim. He could obviously dunk, but he could kind of go up and under the rim. He could use the backboard as essentially a you know a, a screen to wave a defender off or whatever. But I mean, he wasn't finishing, you know, those turnaround, like five footers, seven footers where he's getting fouled. And, I mean, there were a couple of times where it almost looked last night against Michigan, like Michigan was just trying to pull him to the ground, not, not in a dirty way, but just in a, you can't do anything else with him. You know, we're just, we're just going to try and pull on his arms and we'll take the, you know, we'll take the free throws. And he was still making those shots and it is hard to, and, and again, like I, you know, I would love to have a candid conversation with him. I would probably love to have love even more to have a candid conversation with Dana Altman about just like what Altman thinks about this, because I don't know, maybe he uses his size. He understands how to use his size better. I'm not sure. Obviously Woodson has experience working with some, some pretty talented bigs, Tyson Chandler, Al Horford, you know, some guys that, that played a lot of years in the NBA. Um, but I, I do think that even as much as you, you know, if you watch these games on TV, I, I get that you probably recognize he's very big. He's tall. He's long. He's got, I mean, clearly a lot of room to grow in his upper body. But, he, I mean, he looks like a college freshman, big man, what it feels like they often look like, which is that the, the leg development comes first. And so he's kind of got like the, you know, below the waist the muscle, the power, the strength, all that stuff. And it's still kind of got to come above the waist. But um, I also just can't really under like understate how tall he is and, and just like how well he is using that advantage. Like he went after the Maryland game, he went to do the postgame interview and he's standing next to Lafonso Ellis, who is how tall is Lafonso Ellis? He's got to be at least six foot eight. Yeah, he's six, eight, six, nine is kind of what I'm seeing him listed as. And he was almost a full head shorter. And well, I mean, even, last, even last night, uh, the guy, uh, the forward, Terrace Reed Jr., the sophomore forward who Michigan had guarding him, uh, 6'10, 265, and he had no answers. Like he couldn't get the ball away, couldn't kind of prevent him from, from you know, it, like, I mean, and he looked a lot taller than him, too. And that, that he's a man of I mean, his 6'10, 265, I think a year older. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's it's there. I mean, he's he's got it. Uh, it's just it's kind of amazing to me. Somebody also pointed out, at least I mean, this is the listed stuff, but on his on his Kimpom profile, I tweeted out a screenshot of of kind of his his overall numbers last year and this year. Somebody also did point out he's listed at thirty two pounds heavier than he was a year ago. And you know, I mean, again, was that his maybe not working very hard? Was it Oregon not developing him the right way? You know, was it them just not updating the weights at the when they signed him? Sometimes yeah. that happens. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But I mean, it, it is valid. I mean, you're talking about a guy who went from an effective field goal percentage of 49.7 to right now 66.9. Like that is such a large offensive leap without there being a, you know, he's an effective three point shooter. He's five of 10. He's not going to take many, but, you know, he's. It, at least right now, statistically, they're as likely to go in when he puts them up as not. Um, but it's not like he added something like really that, you know, this is obviously not a good positional comparison. But 
Victor Oladipo, when he played at Indiana, his first year, he was just incredibly offensively rough. Um, and his, his second year actually was kind of when he was particularly rough because he was getting a lot more shots. He was getting a lot more. He was trying to sprinkle three-pointers into his game a lot more. And he added 16 points to his effective field goal percentage from his sophomore year to his junior year. But that was because he went from a 10, a 20.8% three-point shooter to a 44.1% three-point shooter. So like he added something that just a, a really big fundamental piece of his offensive game wasn't there one year and was the next. You don't see that with where and the numbers. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff again, you talk about like that little baby hook and, I'm sure there's things that he's doing this year that he. Wasn't. I don't think it's fair to call it a baby hook. I think it's a man-sized hook. I think it's a. It's I have a, a friend really that calls him baby, baby Wimby, which it's a sky hook. It's a sky bit. hook. Yeah, I, I think you're devaluing it by calling it a baby hook. But either way, the, the point is, it's it's not like there's some obvious thing he's added to his game from last year to this year. He's just he's just really good, and it, it's it's whether it's something Woodson worked with him or something that you know he just kind of found in the challenge of moving from maybe a disappointing freshman season to, at Oregon to seeing Indiana as an opportunity to play his way back into the first round of the draft I don't know but I mean yeah he's he's just a night and day player and and I think too you know the the one thing that I will say about particularly because Mbako's kind of you know he he sort of has a foot in both camps right like he's he's a three which means there's going to be some times you want him going downhill, getting at the rim. He's actually shown a little bit more adeptness at like, you know, grabbing offensive rebounds and things, but there's also a perimeter element to his game just by the nature of, of how he plays and where he plays on the floor. Where and renew it. I do think, and it's through eight games. I don't think it's totally unfair to say that front court is at least a little more dynamic than Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. Number one, you've got two guys that are scoring at a real volume level. You know, Race Thompson could be that, but that was kind of, you know, he was always kind of statistically going to be second fiddle to Trace Jackson Davis. These two guys are kind of doing it together. You know, I mean, they are um, obviously two of Indiana's best rebounders. You know, they are statistically Indiana's best rim protectors. The only player with a, higher block rate on the team is Caleb Banks. And it's, it's not like he's sitting there protecting the rim. He's getting that stuff on trailing and things like that. Um, together, they form a really tough back, really tough front court. Cause I think the other thing you see, and you, you certainly saw this against Maryland. And I think you saw it too against Michigan is, you know, most teams generally have one really good advanced post defender. And now you've got, you know, two guys that arguably, are playing at an all-conference level in the post. So it's just kind of like, well, what do you do? Because even if you want to double-team them, you know, Malik Renew's got an assist rate of almost 22%. He's just going to throw the lob. If, if you want to bring a double, he's going to kick the ball back out. Maybe it won't go in, but it'll still be an open three, or he's just going to throw the lob to Kalel Ware. And it's not very hard to throw lobs to a guy who's 7'2". The wingspan, you know, is as large as his. Well, yeah, and I watched uh, Michigan's post-game press conference yesterday. Uh, Phil Martelli was the one – uh, taking questions, um, as we mentioned, he's kind of the acting coach, even though Juwan Howard was on the bench and coaching. Um, but he said what impressed him about watching film of Indiana, and they're, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're impressive in the post, but how well they've been passing out of the post and how that's kind of driven their success. 
um, kind of touching on what you're ta- what you're talking about. And then, you know, he said that they kind of struggled with that um, at times. And, you know, you're just because, you know, they'd bring the double and they'd get it out of it um, and, and kind of, you know, make them pay. So um, that's kind of, you know, what their identity is. And, and you know, like we said, it's, it's ironic because that's what Woodson said it wouldn't be, but it is. And they're leading into it and it's working. And we'll kind of see here now as the competition kind of takes another step up the next two games um you know Woodson mentioned that UConn game again last night in terms of you know they got punched and they didn't have any punch back you know um and he wants to see that fight uh had it on the road yesterday um and you know there's been some time spread out you don't know how that kind of does that help you know because you kind of regroup and have that energy or um do you not able to carry that momentum over because you know what four days between this one and another what six days after this between that uh, Kansas and Auburn game yeah, I mean, I, he said something, and, and I think we've both talked about the potential impact of the, you know, the, the those layoffs. Indiana hasn't had a lot of really tight turnarounds, so there's been a lot of sort of learning and teaching time. But Woodson said something similar to kind of he's, he did the post game interview, and he said something similar to what you know, kind of he's talked about in some of his post game press conferences on um, Peacock and Josh Pastner. You know, was just smiling like a. a a child who'd been giving candy when he said it Woodson said um, basically somebody kind of framed the question is like, what's been different for you since that UConn game. And he said, um, he said, UConn taught us how to be tough essentially. Like what he was basically saying was that's the, that's the defending national champion. It's a top 10 team. It's, it's a, it's a final four contender again. And they showed us the difference between where we were and where we needed to go. And, Obviously, that's, you know, anytime you lose by 20 points at Madison Square Garden, like that's always going to be true to an extent. But I, I thought it was interesting that he kind of doubled down on this idea of like they they taught us what was necessary, essentially, not just in terms of, you know, defending this one on one matchup or running this running this set better or something. But just like the baseline, you know, this is how this is the level of toughness you need to bring a level of you know work rate or whatever to match a team like that because like, you know, listen, I, I, Indiana deserved to lose that game, but they didn't play like it was a 20 point loss for most of the night that for most of that game, Indiana was competitive. And yet for most of that game, Indiana really couldn't find a way to get its level up to UConn's level. They kept sort of probing their way back in and UConn would put a run into them and it would just kind of go over and over again. And then the game got out of, got away from Indiana when foul trouble hit. Um, but I just thought it was interesting, especially kind of framing these next two games, Auburn and Atlanta and Kansas and Bloomington, that Woodson kind of pointed at, you know, the other really elite. Well, I don't know if Auburn's really elite, but Kansas very well might be. And obviously UConn is, you know, the, the really elite team Indiana had played and had lost to had kind of maybe shown Indiana a measure of this is what it takes, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, that's what you need with a young team. Right. And and I think he's been, wait, you know, he was waiting to see how they responded. You know, I don't think Louisville was necessarily the kind of the, the opponent that he wanted to see it against. But I think these big, you know, these two big 10 matchups and, and one on the road, I think, especially, I mean, because look, that game was tied. I think it was 113 where scored with about 53. Um, they made stops down the, the down the stretch right there. Um, you know, had uh, we're at a block right before that, uh, stole the inbound pass at the end. I mean, they made every play they needed to in that last 90 seconds. Um, and that's kind of what I think Woodson, those moments are what Woodson wants to see from his team, um, playing smart. Um, because they, they were really loose with the ball early in that game, but they, you know, the second half they bounced back. And so they're showing growth. 
um, you know, we pick, we maybe nitpick and just because it is ugly basketball, uh, but they are um, taking step for take, taking steps forward um, and, you know, showing improvement. And that's all you can ask from for, for a coach, um, you know, and to only have one loss, like you said, even if they lose the next two games and win out uh, December uh, with their non-conference, I mean, you t- it, Woodson would absolutely have taken that at the start of this, you know, before the season. Talking about these these next two, um, Auburn and Atlanta is interesting. You know, on on paper, Auburn is is a better team than Indiana, but it is worth saying they just lost to Appalachian State. I don't. Why did they play that game on the road? I don't know. Um, <laughs> they they did. I'm looking at I'm looking at it. I haven't paid obviously super close attention to Auburn yet. This no, year. I saw that too. Yeah, they lost the road. Um, that, that was in Boone, but they lost to Appalachian State. Which is a you know a, a top 100 team in the uh, in in Ken Palm, but you'd expect them to win that game. There are some elements of what Auburn does. They don't shoot threes very well. They don't score from threes very well. They're a really good offensive rebounding team, like Indiana. Um, they get to the free throw line a lot. Obviously, if you look at kind of their you know a lot of their stuff goes through Johnny Broom. Um, so the the the, the Kalel Ware Malik Renu Johnny Broom matchup will be interesting because I think um, you know. On paper, anyway, Indiana's Indiana's not a team that necessarily gets just smacked around on the offensive glass, and Indiana's certainly not a team that puts teams at the free throw line very much. Uh, not not you know inordinately above the average, anyway. Um, so, you know, and then the flip side, Auburn is really good defending twos. So it, that one's going to be a fascinating game, just in terms of kind of a. I don't. I mean, Kim Palm has Auburn favored by seven. I think it's it's. I'm not sure it's necessarily a coin toss, but it's more kind of one of those where both teams are kind of good at stopping teams that do what the other one does. And then Kansas, I think it's just going to be one where, you know, frankly, to some extent, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. We'll talk about Kansas leading up to that game. Kansas is going to be one to some extent where Indiana is going to need assembly hall to kind of do its thing. Yeah. um, And, you know, I I think what you want from that, even if it's a loss, you don't want to lose by another 20 points. You want to show progress, uh, especially at home, um, I think you want it to be competitive, um, and and, um, and I think you'll sh- you'll you'll show that you've made a step forward um, in terms of you know meeting the moment and 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 doing the things like uh, Woodson has, has kind of said he wants to see that you know I think the psyche of this team is interesting because they are young, um, and so you know it's going to be a long season. Uh, you know, also I mean we'll we'll talk to Woodson a little bit a little bit tomorrow. Will they have Xavier Johnson back for these two games? That'll be a, a, an important question, I think, to ask. Um, you know, they've been happy with Gabe Cubs defense, but offensively, non-factor. And I think against teams like this, they're going to need, you know, another, you know, he's averaging over 10 points a game. They're going to need that, I think, when you go, especially against Kansas, if you want to have a you know, competitive game. We'll see where it goes. You know, I think on the one hand, this is kind of a real stress test of whether this sort of style can win at the level Indiana needs it to uh, across the course of the whole season. On the other hand, it's worth saying, if Indiana can win either of these games and then close those three around Christmas without any real fuss, Morehead State, North Alabama, Kennesaw State, then you know quietly they'll go into the the new year no worse than eleven and two, two and zero in the Big Ten with a lot of what they need from the kind of November and December NCAA tournament resume wise already in the bag. So we'll be there in Atlanta. Obviously, we'll we'll do this again before the Kansas game. But for Mike Nislik, I'm Zach Goss from the Bloomington Herald Times. Indianapolis Star. This has been Mind Your Banners. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of 
uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.